Welcome to this edition of When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine, a discussion of sustainable living and what that means to you and me. I'm Jay Warmke. And I'm Annie Warmke. And today we're going to talk about wind energy or... The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. And you didn't even sink it. Sink it? Sing it. <laughs> no, I sinked it all right, right in the hole. All right, okay. <laughs> so let's talk about wind energy. Okay, so, Jay, I know this is fascinating stuff, and I'm going to try my best to be fascinated today. <laughs> so how about if you start with the uh, state of wind energy today in the U.S., in okay. North America? Okay, you can probably tell. I've presented her with a list of things to ask me about. Okay. Otherwise, get... <laughs> we'd be talking about some very different <laughs> things. Be... So um, let me just tell you where we are today um, with wind. Wind, uh, as of 2018, um, when you talk about generating capacity, these numbers start to be meaningless. Wait, what's capacity mean? Capacity means how much energy these systems, wind turbines primarily, can generate. And we're at about 96,000 megawatts of nameplate capacity, which doesn't make a whole lot of, uh, it's not a a statistic that helps you a lot. And until you understand that's about four times as much as 10 years ago. So this, right, but where were we 10 years ago? I mean, it sounds like a lot, growing. but it's not. It's growing. Well, if you think about uh, electricity in the United States, the decades of the 30s, the 40s, and the 50s was primarily water, right? That was our main source of electricity. Like hydro, you mean? Yeah, hydro, mm-hmm. the Hoover Dam and things like that. Right. Uh, then you get into the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and they built a whole lot of coal power plants that we sort of transition because water is limited because it has to be next to a river or some sort of water source. Coal can be kind of wherever, except it still needs to be near water because they need to cool the turbines and everything. So, But in the 70s and 80s, we got into nuclear, you know, clean, safe, too cheap to meter nuclear. And, and if you look at the development of these, they go up and then they kind of peter out. So the after the 80s, lost interest in coal. After the 80s, lost interest in nuclear. Natural gas was- Who lost interest? The they, industry. They're still fighting over it. I know. Well, they, they talk, but not. don't look at what they say. Look at what they're doing. And they're just not building these plants. So in the 90s and the 2000s, it was natural gas. That's what was being developed. That's what was being installed as far as electrical generating. And all of these, except for um, except for hydro, are basically boiling water and using the steam to run a wind turbine, or to run a wind turbine, to run to run a, <laughs> Say, a generating a, a turbine of some sort, a generator. Right, right, a generator. But now, 2010 and beyond, we've moved into the age of of solar and wind. And today, we're talking about wind. The answer, my friend. So uh, this is where we're at. Wind and solar today are the cheapest form of electricity that there is. And that is what's being built. And it's purely driven by economics. So if I go back further, further into the days of uh, wind energy, um, as with almost everything, wind turbines or wind mills were um, quite prevalent in Persia in the years 500 to 800 or so. And, of course, ancient China. Did, I mean, did they actually make energy? Didn't they just pump water up from they pumped water. They pumped water and they ground grain. But that was right. energy. The, those were the two well, functions okay. they really needed. Um, but, but really it was the Persians uh, that were the big developers. 
uh, of wind energy. And during the Crusades, when they sent, when the Europeans sent all of these people down into um, the Middle East to um, to kill all the heathens, as they would say, um, they brought this technology back to Europe. So in the 1100s, the, the wind, the, the yeah. wind. In the, the 1100s, they started actually building them. Some of the first recorded wind turbines are in the area near Yorkshire um, in, in England in eighteen or in 1185. But is it called a turbine or is it called a windmill? It's mill? a windmill. So what's Did the I... difference between a windmill and a turbine? Well, a windmill typically is going to be grinding grain or pumping water. A wind turbine is generating electricity. That's really where the distinction. You hear those terms used in, interchangeably a lot, but it's not it's not accurate. Well, they're also, I mean, if you've ever been where there's a windmill, like when we would be in Belgium, it's so incredible. Oh, they're beautiful. Oh, my God. But it's so mammoth and it, cr you know, creaks and uh, it's just an amazing Well, thing. some of these early ones, and I remember we saw some like in, in the Norfolk area in England, they, they call them post mill. Uh, where the entire building shifts with oh. the wind. So it's not just the blades, but but when the wind blows from different directions, the entire building is on a pivot wheel and the whole thing spins. And and those were some of the very earliest wind turbines, uh, windmills, I keep saying wind turbines, but um, one that was built, and this is a history of any new technology, in 1191, near Bury St. Edmunds, one of our old stomping grounds in England, which uh, um, they, they built a windmill, and the church made them tear it down. What church is that? The Catholic Church, of course. The this Catholics was were in 1191 in England? Oh, wow. sure, sure. They were everywhere. And, in fact, that same <laughs> year, that same year, Pope Celestine III— he was he was 80, 85 years old when he was ordained pope. So a young whippersnapper. Well, they, they like him that way. And he declared, well, you know, the the two main energy sources of this time period were um, water mills that were on rivers, you know, and they ground grain, and and windmills. Well, the Lord of the Manor owned the water mill and and owned the water that flowed through his property, but who owned the wind? Right? That was a big issue. The Pope, apparently. Well, the Pope decided that the wind was owned by God. And as God's representative on earth, he was collecting, right? <laughs> so, Just like today. <laughs> well, somebody had to. So, so they actually um, made it that you could only build a windmill through papal uh, declaration or agreement, and then you had to pay the Pope for the right to use the energy of the wind. And, uh, and I presume he paid God his cut, I'm sure. But, um, and this is the same guy. Um, he was not such a nice guy. But this was during the period of uh, Richard the Lionheart. And actually the Pope was uh, considered complicit in the kidnapping of Richard the Lionheart, in which they extorted 100,000 pounds for his release. So, Whoa, that'd be a lot of money. Yeah, it definitely would. Wow. Yeah, that, that There's a lot of windmills, maybe. So. <laughs> that there. All right, so, so then we began to move, uh, we moved forward several centuries into the modern era, right, of windmill, and now we're getting into wind turbine. But we have had windmills in this country. They're metal, and they are out in the plains where it's, where, right, where right. it's uh, flat, and that, that would just pump water from deep in the ground. Yeah, in fact, uh, it was um, 
gosh, I, can't, I don't remember the guy's name. It's like Hathaway or something like that. He actually was an Ohio native who uh, developed those little, the ones you see in all the old westerns up on mm-hmm. towers and they're pumping water. And, and in many respects, it was the development of that windmill. And you're right, it was a windmill uh, that helped settle the West because the railroads could not have moved forward without that windmill to pump water for the for the locomotion. They, they're actually, the government, the USDA, is actually giving grants now for um, people to install w- windmills exactly like that again so they can have water sources in remote places. Well, everything old is new again. That's right. So, But when we got into wind turbines, now I love to talk about those Scotsmen, right? Uh, right around the 18, late 1800s. Well, a fellow named James Blythe, who is largely credited with actually creating the first wind turbine. And he installed it on his vacation uh, holiday cottage in the city, in the village of Marykirk in 1887. So this is a fairly new 1887. That's that's not that long ago. Um, and he called it, in, in fact, he got a patent for it in 1891. He called it the wind engine. And he offered to build a system of electrical generation for the town of Marykirk or the village of Marykirk. But he was soundly rejected by the locals because they determined that electricity was the work of the devil. I think a lot of people thought that. (laughs) I think a lot of people think of that today. I I don't know. So instead he built one for a lunatic asylum because apparently the uh, lunatics did not care whether it was the work of the devil or not. Then another Ohioan, Charles Brush, um, lived on a farm. 10 miles south of downtown Cleveland, which it's hard to imagine there would be a big farm 10 miles from downtown Cleveland, but there was at this time. And he was an engineer who had made a fortune making generators. And he settled in, and uh, in 1888, he built a very large wind turbine. And this was a true wind turbine, in fact, a 12 kW wind turbine, 12 kilowatts. Uh, This thing would power a modern home, for sure. Um, and, and he built that, and it operated at his home for over 20 years, and uh, quite, the, quite the invention. In fact, many people will say that's the true first wind turbine, but those are only people from Ohio, not from Scotland. Right? <laughs> yeah. And then Paul LaCour, who is a Danish fellow, a Dane. With a French A great name. Dane. Yes. Um, he, he actually created, in, in again, the late 1800s, 1897, the first wind turbine that incorporated aerodynamic design into the blades. So now you're starting to see these blades like with a, the shape of an airplane wing that start to use the motion of the air flowing over to get greater efficiencies and the like. And I think he was the one who determined that the fewer the blades, the better the efficiency of the wind turbine. In fact, a wind turbine with only one blade will be most efficient. The most efficient. Yeah, except it's out of balance. So you really end up with three blades because they create a balance. And if you think about it, one blade is always falling, which then helps the other ones to get a little bit of momentum in their spinning. You know what strikes me, though, when you're telling me this, is that really probably the only thing that's held back the fact that we haven't really used wind is because of all these other like fossil fuel and so forth, they were easier to come by because it's really a matter of setting them on fire or creating uh, heat um, with with them in some way. Whereas with wind, we just couldn't quite figure out how to harness it. Well, some and that's always the case with any when any energy alternative and with almost anything. If the alternatives are cheaper, 
then it's going to retard the growth of a new and emerging technology. But right. now the energy, the alternatives are not cheaper. Okay, but what's cheaper? You know, this is one of the challenges is we never say what's the true cost. And right. if we look at the true cost of these past sources of energy, it's it, the cost to, to society and to the environment is unbelievable, but we've never, ever really put that true cost together. Well, you talk with about wind, ex- it already exists. Well, you're talking about externalized costs, you know, the cost of cleaning up a coal mine or the cost of, uh, well, you know, or pollution, pollution or health, sure. the, what it's done to the people who extracted. Picky, picky, picky. I know, but I'm just saying, when you say the cost, it is not cheaper. And this right. is very uh, frustrating to to hear All when right, people well, say this. The good news is it's no longer cheaper even if you ignore externalized costs. Okay, that's So good. actually when you look at the economics of this moment, this very moment of our existence, wind and solar, they're kind of neck and neck, but we buy electricity in kilowatt hours, you know, when you, you get your bill. In North America? Yeah, everywhere. I oh, mean, okay. this is just how you buy it. Um, here in in America, in in the United States of America, um, the the cost is about twelve cents uh, per kilowatt hour on average. The cost of generating that power using wind and solar is about two cents. The cost well, somebody's of, getting rich. Oh yeah, well there's transportation distribution profits and uh, paying off legislators. All of those are built <laughs> into the cost. So then you also have. Um, Natural gas, which is about four cents, and you've got uh, coal, which is six cents or so. So actually, wind and solar are about a third the cost of coal and about half the cost of natural gas, even with externalized cost. So you've been listening to When the Biomass Hits the Wind Turbine with Jay and Annie Warpy. Warpy <laughs> coming to you. Sorry, I'm not practiced at this. And we're reminding you that it's the end of the world as we know it. <laughs> and thank God, and it's the end of that uh, station <laughs> announcement there. So, all right. Oh. Keep me on track, Annie. Okay, well, so let's talk a little bit about barriers. What What's stopping us from just whole hog? Everything's going to be wind. Well, and, and there are some legitimate barriers. I mean, you're saying... Uh, one is some in a lot of places there's not enough wind to make it practical. There's a lot of hot air though. Yeah, but that's only at the state house. <laughs> yeah. So, but there are some areas you know uh, we we all know in the flatlands and the plains you know there's a lot of a lot of wind that's consistent. But you get into the hills and yeah, but in wait cities. a minute. So I read a thing about the fact that it's just a matter of getting up high enough in most oh, places. Oh sure, sure, yeah. But that height can be prohibitively expensive because you've got a big tower. In fact, there's some new technologies that are really fascinating. Like uh, uh, they they have a helium-filled wind turbine. Essentially, you can tether and raise up in you know many many thousands of feet up in into the sky. Um, there are some floating wind turbines. Of course, on the ocean, there's a lot more. But uh, a so lot more wind. You mean? A lot more wind than uh-huh. than on land typically. Um, inconsistent government policies is a big issue, you know, on again, off again. You get one political party that says they're for it, one that says they're against it. In the state of Ohio, for instance, in 2014, um, they passed a law that said, all right, you need to set back from the property line about 1,300 feet any wind turbine. Well, that made wind development almost impractical. In most places, it's uh, some 
based on the height of the wind turbine. So you say, all right, if it's going to be, you know, it's got to be 1.1 or 1.2 times the height. So in case the thing falls over, it doesn't land on someone else's property, which, which makes sense. But when you start saying, okay, you need to go a quarter of a mile back from the property line, it makes it impractical. So the net effect was about $2.5 billion worth of um, projects that were already lined up, just simply left the state. Uh, and then now they're talking about bringing it back because Amazon wants wind and it's all the well, political. And I will say that I've recently read that there are um, a number of farmers that have um, signed on to have wind farms on their property. And this has allowed them to stay in business sure. with the fluctuating costs and the government pricing and everything. And so farmers have been slow to come to renewable energy. But when they see that there's a profit to be made and it's going to keep them on their land, they're changing their tune. Sure. And one of the advantages of wind, of course, as an energy source is you can use the land where it's located, about 95 percent of it, for other things like growing crops or raising animals. It does not disrupt the land, and it can be restored back to its original state pretty easily if you decided to get rid of the wind zone. So, so I have a question, though. Sure. So let's say that I had a wind turbine on my property, and it's generating electricity. How is that more safe than uh, if I had um, some electrical lines going uh, you know, that were generated from coal or whatever. So there's a lot of energy on those lines that's passing across your property. Is it the same for the wind turbine or is the, are those lines buried? No. Uh, typically what you need is to be located near some of those lines to get the power onto the grid. And that's another barrier to wind because there has to be a distribution system from the property from where the wind is is located and generating electricity to where the people are who are going to use it. So typically wind systems, wind farms, don't create these high-powered uh, transmission lines. What they do is they're located near where they already exist so that they can sort of piggyback onto them and transport the power over. But it's not going to solve that problem of, of stray electricity coming yeah. from these high tension so it's lines. It's very bad for farms. Well, that's an issue, but those already exist. So, um, so but that well, is that a barrier. Doesn't make it okay. Oh, come on! You're so picky about things like I know it's like right. health and health safety. Don't kill things. Uh, and you know what? This is technology. We ignore people those are things. making money. Get out of the way. Yeah, uh, zoning and land restrictions, as you mentioned, height of the towers that can cause some problems with aviation like being near airports. But all of these are the same issues that come in with cell towers and, and things of that nature. And there actually is a, a, a lot of radio wave interference um, from these wind turbines. So if you had a television station or something like that, it could disrupt the broadcasting range. But those are some legitimate barriers to entry. But I wanted to talk about some of the myths that are around wind generation. Um, so if I were to tell you uh, wind generation, what's the problem with wind turbines? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Um, that there's a hum. A hum. Okay, so noise. I was going after birds and bats, but okay. hum is that they're noisy. Okay. People will say, okay, they are noisy. Well, they're not really. In fact, at 300 meters. Well, how many feet is that? That's about a thousand feet. Okay. So a um, little less than a quarter of a mile. No, that's... but it's about as far as the setback is. Anyway, they make about 40 decibels of noise, which is about the same as your refrigerator. Okay, but um, that's constant. 
Yeah. But it's usually at that distance, the rustling of leaves in a tree will be louder than the wind turbine okay, itself. But but leaves don't rustle consistently. It's like a white, the white noise. Okay, but this is like white noise All in the right, background. I'm not going to convince you on that. Could it, but could it be harmful to humans and livestock? Oh, too? That's another myth, right? In fact, the... Wait, uh, wait, wait. I mean that, that sound. No. No, it just puts them to sleep. Did they do studies? Yes. (laughs) They did? Right. Oh, yes, they did. In fact, um, one of the things that uh, they will will argue that opponents of wind turbines, they they argue that it causes almost any disease you can think of. Chickens won't lay eggs. Earthworms vanish from the property. It will turn your hair gray. Uh, You'll lose energy. You'll be fatigued. You'll get tumors. You'll lose concentration. That's from the electricity itself. Weight loss, weight gain, sleep problems. Hundreds of cattle and goats. Cattle? Cattle and goats are dying horrible deaths. But that's from the electricity Uh, part. The problem is there is no – there have been more than 25 scientific uh, studies. Well, who paid for them? I don't. I don't necessarily. Not the wind believe. industry. Anyway, found no link. In fact, they refer to it as the nocebo effect. Nocebo. That's nocebo good. instead of placebo. You say basically, if I believe there's a problem, there's going to be a problem. I mean, the bottom line is, if I hate wind turbines, I'm not going to like having them next to me. Well, they do say they're an eyesore, but I don't see that. I, but I just say, look, if they are located near where these big towers are for the electric generation, mm-hmm. that is those all those things they've listed are things that ca- are caused by that high energy concentration on those lines. What did you right. call it? Leakage or something? Uh, it's a, yeah, I mean, it's it does stray out. Oh, there is a certain stray. amount of voltage because because electrical voltage will leak out of the um, conductor uh, insulation. And when you're sending this power, which is oftentimes at like 700,000 volts, um, it will leak and stray. In fact, we were doing a project down near the Ohio River, and I could hear the grass crackling underneath uh, these high-powered electric lines because of static discharge. In fact, you could hold up a a fluorescent light bulb, and it will light. But Um, this is why people in livestock die of cancer. Right, but it's not the wind turbine. No, this is what I'm saying. It's the electricity itself. And and there may be that issue. The other thing is about turbines kill bats and birds. You know, we always hear, oh, yeah, wind turbine, they kill birds. And, of course, um, they do. The studies do show that um, on average a wind turbine, a specific wind turbine, will kill between 6 and 13 birds a year. Um, How many wind turbines are there? Well, on uh, the whole, they'll say about fourteen or one hundred and forty thousand birds a year will be killed by uh, wind turbines. That compares to about one hundred and thirty million birds from power lines, eighty million from cars, a hundred million to a billion from birds flying into buildings, um, cell towers, forty to fifty million, and my favorite, two hundred and twenty million from cats. So let's eliminate cats, please, as opposed to wind turbines that are just a drop in the bucket. So it's basically saying, you know, life. Do we have any birds left? Uh, life sucks if you're a bird. I mean, everything <laughs> is it, trying every to kill prey. you. Everything but wants you. Fly into, we've all seen birds fly into a, a picture window or something. And go, oh, poor little bird. Well, or you get You don't say car. that. No, but the cat does. And he goes out and eats oh. it. But, uh, so anyway, so, so birds do get killed, but wind turbines are not a factor in that. It's but there are a lot a of things. Factor. Okay, I just want to say, in all honesty, there are a lot of things attached to that turbine, though, that do kill 
I mean, all those things about electric lines and all that stuff. I mean, it's just being, let's be right. honest about okay. it. Okay, but if you want to live in a world that has electricity, there will be some collateral damage. Do you want to minimize that by generating the electricity using wind? Or do you want to continue to use coal power plants, nuclear power plants, natural I want people plants, to use less plants. energy. I want conservation. Sure. And conservation is a good answer. And actually, I would argue solar, where the energy is generated where it's going to be consumed, the true distributed energy is a better solution. Right. But, but we're talking about wind. So we're that's talking a about wind. And, and there's a problem with the economics of localized uh, wind is that, well, it makes economic sense to put up one of these great huge wind turbines. And let's say that turbine costs a million dollars, but it'll service a, a thousand homes. Now the cost per home is like a thousand dollars. But if you wanted to put up one wind turbine to f- service your home, the cost would be more like sixty or seventy thousand dollars. So it's not economical to do it for onesie twosies, but it is economical when you're doing utility scale wind. With solar. It's economical to do it on your home, onesie twosies, the same way where the difference between doing a utility scale solar and an individual home solar is only about, say, 50% difference as opposed to many factors. So so wind is is not as scalable when you start getting down to small systems. Um, I love how they always like to talk about how... Um, when they talk about solar panels, if we had a solar array the size of Utah, you know, it would power the world like that's ever going to happen. And it's not a good solution. That would be the point. I know it's silly. But I was reading um, a study that was saying how much energy would it take using wind. And once again, they came out and they said, all right, well, if we built a wind turbine, a wind farm, um, we could capture enough energy to run the entire world, but the wind tar- farm would have to be twice the size of Alaska. So um, that's it's possible, but it ain't going to happen. But if you think about how much there can still be, because one of the arguments is wind is not reliable, that um, currently wind generates about 6, 6.5% of all of the electricity used in, in the United States. But there are four states, uh, Iowa, Kansas, Oklahoma, and South Dakota, that generate more than 30% of their power from wind. And actually, Germany produces 40% of its power from wind. So even though the wind doesn't always blow and the sun doesn't always shine, we have seen that with today's systems, we can get as much as 40% of our power from wind, and we're only at about 6%. Well, we could get more if we had more more turbines, turbines, more arrays. Right. But and, and one of the resistance, of course, is there are people who say these things are not attractive. I don't like the way they look. And I'm always curious as to why they get a say, right? I don't like the way telephone poles look. I don't like the way roads look. I don't like the way a lot of people look. How come I don't get a say in that? <laughs> you know, They're going to do it anyway, and, and it's just going to happen. So why is it with renewable energy suddenly people get this? Well, any excuse, any excuse at all, because what we're used to, we're going to stay with it. Thank you for listening to us uh, when the biomass hits the wind turbine with Jay and Annie Warmke along with Adam Rich, our award-winning radio producer. And thank you for spending a bit of time with us. And as your grandmother probably told you, the secret to a happy and sustainable life is what, Jane? Uh, Play nice with others. Yeah. Clean up your own mess. Of course. Build a wind turbine. 
and eat your vegetables, Annie. Or Annie, eat my vegetables. Yeah, I guess so. All right. Thanks. Till next time. Mother Earth will sing and her children will be You can find more information on living sustainably in our unsustainable world at BlueRockStation.com.